Abolition. 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 What is Juneteenth? Juneteenth is an annual celebration on June 19th that commemorates and celebrates the end of slavery in the United States. Now, although President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation freeing slaves in January of 1863, it wasn't until June 19th of 1865, two years later, that Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas with the news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were free. After this, over 250,000 slaves across Texas learned that they were finally free. We celebrate June, um, Juneteenth uh, really as a kind of symbol of the end of um, black bondage in the United States. It's not the date in which everyone found out that they were free or were able to claim their freedom, but it is a great symbolic date um, of the end of slavery in the United States. syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by 
for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. I'm your host, Max Parthas. Brother Youssef will not be joining us this evening again. He is still dealing with some very severe family crises. He just uh, buried one of his family members yesterday, and we ask that you keep Yusuf and his family in your prayers. Brother Tag Harmon is still here, though, at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center doing volunteer work, and he'll help me hold it down once again. What's up, Brother Tag? Amen to that, brother. Well, tonight is our last episode before Juneteenth, 2021. And last week, you know, we broke down the legal definition of slavery like bosses. Uh, This week, we'll talk about Juneteenth, the upcoming introduction of the 28th Amendment, also known as the Abolition Bill, and the committee hearings on slavery abolitionist bills in Ohio, California, and Oregon, all of which are happening in this coming week. We'll also discuss all the news, organizations, and people relevant to the ever-growing slavery abolitionist movement. Of course, we'll have incredible musical mixes, like you just heard, (laughs) powerful audio quotes, and as always, we bring the ancestors' words back to life in our Bridging the Gap segment. So all of that and so much more tonight in this episode of Abolition Today. Get right into it, man. Um, the opening track, you know, I've been giggling about that for like two days. I have not been able to get that song out of my head. Every time I turn around, I'm like, hell, you talking about. But uh, the opening, I-, I played that because there's so much confusion going on right now with Juneteenth. And, you know, I, I say it kind of puts us back two steps uh, in the abolitionist movement because it's going around convincing people that slavery has ended and we've spent the whole year telling you hasn't even proving it by in, actually ending slavery in state constitutions. And, you know, now we've got a federal amendment coming out. So in the audio, they're like, this marks the end of bondage for black people in America. And I was like, huh? <laughs> the end of bondage? What? You do realize we got the largest prison population in the entire universe, right? There ain't even no people on another planet. Like in Centauri 3, they don't have that many prisoners. And uh, then when it got to the end, we said, that was the end of slavery. My man was like, the hell is you talking about? <laughs> that was great. Tag? Well, the quote I have down here for, for what we said was uh, a great symbolic date of the ending of slavery in the United States. And so, uh, you know, one, one can interpret an utterance like that how they will, but the, the 13th Amendment is, is, is a, a key document to interpreting that quote. Exactly. It is, man. I, I just, you know, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. We, we, we make all these advancements, and then just in one holiday, we lose it all. I'd like to see, and I, and I expect to see, because I know that there's at least four or five different states right now that are doing so, who incorporate this message within their Juneteenth festivals. You know, I'm not trying to see the end of Juneteenth. If uh, brothers and sisters get a chance to get out and celebrate it or a day off from work, I'm for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But let's take the opportunity to really enlighten our people around us about things like convict leasing and chain gangs and mass incarceration and warehousing bodies and policing for profit and all the things that keep us in actual bondage right now. 
some friends of mine and other people I don't know have been catching on to the phrase free-ish since 1865. And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, don't say that. Say partially enslaved since 1865. You know, what you're doing is optimistic. Let's show them the negative side of that because you are partially enslaved since 1865. You're not born a slave, you know, as in chattel slavery, and you don't die a slave like that. At least that's not the way it normally happens. But you're certainly born in circumstances where you can be caught and enslaved at any moment for any given amount of time. You know, uh, there's a couple of people in prison right now. The whole damn world knows that they're free, and nobody wants to let them go. Um, uh, real quick, tell us about that. I, I thought you were doing your research on that earlier. Well, on on this question of what are, what are sometimes termed uh, wrongful convictions. Yes, about those two brothers in particular who have done a, a collective 70 years in prison. Um, the entire, everybody knows that they're innocent. The judge knows they're innocent. The police know they're innocent. The prosecutor knows they're innocent. The mayor, the governor, every damn body knows that these two men are innocent, and yet they refuse to release them from the cages that they're in. I'm talking about Kevin Strickland and Lamar Johnson. And I think Brother Johnson, is Johnson has been in it for 40 years now? Uh, that I believe that was Brother Strickland. Strickland? All right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that occurrence was uh, supposedly out in uh, out in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Yep. Out, out in Kansas City. Shout Missouri. out to Mad Marlin over there in KC. No doubt, no doubt. Shout. And so, uh, yeah, it, it was just atrocious, you know, uh, going into how they were apparently hiding the, the documents and the files. Um, which seems to be a commonplace MO from these uh, prosecutors who, you know, the composition of which has, has been uh, well well exposed as far as uh, who racially is doing the, uh, the majority of the prosecuting out here uh, versus uh, what it looks like behind that gavel, so to speak, and across from, from it, so to speak. So, you know, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's what we see time and time again, and we see that these conviction integrity units, which I know um, y'all have uh, covered for, for many years now, um, do some important work, but uh, obviously resources are not allocated toward those anywhere uh, comparative to what they are willing to just uh, completely uh, enrich these these slave patroller departments with uh, all across the country and outside of the country. So um, I think, you know, it, it's just another example of where their priorities are, not in dealing with, you know, facts that are even acknowledged by the prosecutors themselves of the case, um, acknowledging their own office's complicity in uh, the fabrication of evidence, et cetera, which we see in, in, in um, far too many of, of, of these kinds of cases. So, you know, uh, just sad realities that uh, heads like uh, these brothers Strickland and Johnson um, have to uh, just over, have to over uh, exert their energies toward, toward finally getting from up under, uh, and, you know, through prison slavery. Right. And we're hearing that that was the end of bondage for us 
You know what pissed me off the most, though, is that the governor of Missouri is fully aware of these two men's case. But you know who he's talking about he's going to pardon? Uh, remember the two white people that came out during the Black Lives Matter march with their guns outside the house threatening to want to kill everybody? Well, those are the two people he said he will pardon immediately if charges them with anything. But these two men get to get forgot. They, like, you know, just left off to die in a rock in a prison. That is just, it's just, oh, man, it angers the hell out of me. Like, where are your priorities? Well, obviously, we know where they are. Looking at, talk about who he plans to pardon if they should get charged with anything. And there's a black woman prosecutor out there. I can't remember her name immediately. We spoke about her a couple of times before here on the show. I think it is Kim Gardner, yeah, you know, who has dealt with open racism and attacks on themselves and threats like that. And the government governor just sits there and does more and more racist things. So that's just an example and a terrible one at that that's going on right now that shows that we're, we're not out of bondage, not at all. I mean, the men are innocent. Everybody knows it. They should be walking free, and yet there they are in those cages in Missouri. Um, there's a few things that have been going on this past week, man. Like, it's been busy here at the Paul Covey Abolitionist Center, ain't it, Tag? <laughs> no, man, we are uh, so much going on, you know. Um, for instance, we just had a summit yesterday of accountability along with Dr. Jared Paul, uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Joy James, um, and Professor Jared Paul, uh, some sp- spokespersons, people for various uh, organizations like BLM 10 uh, were there, uh, you know, and it was, it was about, also there were some family uh, members who, uh, sons or daughters had been killed by police. And we were all there basically, from what I understood, at the last minute, right, at the last minute, room where I understood was to hold accountable movements that are out here really exploiting uh, the suffering of the people. Or either these are, I guess they're kind of like ambulance chasers is what they were trying to call them, right? Like ambulance chasers. They see a dead body and they show up to try to get notoriety and they start telling people about how their goal is to be like Al Sharpton or something like that, you know? At least uh, some. Right, at least some. That's what the people were saying at the summit yesterday. But uh, that wasn't where I was saying. <laughs> you know, I came in as an abolitionist. I appreciated that. Professor James invited me. She'll be a guest on our program, too, next week, as a matter of fact. So I, I appreciated that she invited me and all of that. Um, but I, I wasn't going to go on and just beat up Black Lives Matter uh, as a, a group. Uh, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One, I don't feel comfortable airing dirt, dirty laundry uh, like that. Like, we can have a summit that's not necessarily live stream for the whole world to see. Uh, and also... In America today, uh, those who are on the right see all black organizations as members of BLM. It don't matter who you are. And I've seen this with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. You know, we get out there and we're like, yeah, we're slavery abolitionists. Now nah, you're BLM. Uh, it doesn't matter what group you are. Uh, that's just how what they call us now because they want to demonize us collectively. And so BLM becomes that catch-all that they can use. And so when we start beating up on BLM, in their ears, we're beating up on our own selves. You know what I mean? Because that's what they see us as. So it has some effect. I do want to hold organizers responsible, but 
again, there's other organizations that should have been held responsible a long time ago, like the Southern Poverty Law Center, who has hundreds of millions of dollars in offshore accounts, right? They're supposed to be fighting for our interests as well, and nobody's asking them about where the money is. Uh, but there was an expose that came out and showed they had hundreds of millions of dollars in offshore accounts, tax-free offshore accounts, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center. And not only that, but the black identity extremism that we deal with, they're the authors of that. They created that. And then the FBI uh, adopted it. And, you know, I've met with the family members of the brother that was the first one to be incarcerated, arrested behind these black identity extremism things. Uh, and that came from SPLC. So, you know, I'm just saying I'm never going to look at my own people as my worst enemy under any conditions. It's just not going to happen for me like that. Uh, I will hold people responsible, but we got bigger fish out there that we need to fry for sure. So the summit went well. I thought, you know, at first I didn't. I kind of felt like an outsider because I was talking about something that's not normally talked about, right? I came in as a slavery abolitionist. And I made some statements that might be considered a little bit offensive. But nonetheless, I seem to have had a good impact. Uh, people sent me mail and uh, they, you know, a lot of good replies in the comments section. What do you think, Pat? Well, for one, yeah, the accountability summit definitely had a lot going for it. And so uh, I appreciated being able to uh, peep that out. And it sounds like, you know, uh, many did as well. And of course, you know, we're, we're addressing topics and areas of struggle that can uh, become, uh, you know, can have their, their tensions, et cetera. But, you know, so it is, um, it's, it's a question of, yeah, to what degree do you want to, which, which discussions do you want to have uh, in, in open air, so to speak, and which ones uh, not, you know, and, yeah. and, and to me, uh, a lot of uh, useful dialogue uh, emerged from from out of that. A lot of it. From out of that summit. Yeah, uh, we've got a good point, and I think a lot of people learn quite a bit from that summit, no doubt. And I guess much of it had to be aired to a degree, but you know, as I said, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Uh, when we're out here uh, fighting against each other like that, it just makes me feel very uncomfortable uh, because we don't need to feed these beasts any more red meat is, is how I'm feeling about it. I don't, but I don't even share the stuff that everybody else tends to share where like, you know, gang member shoots three kids and there's nothing but black faces on it. Or, you know, uh, some uh, woman cuts off her, burns her man alive and all of that. Those, those are things I don't need to be sharing. I don't, why? Why? Crime happens every single day. And I'm sure you can find some stuff that's not just about black people because it's a great big world. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to demonize my people any further, but it, it did seem positive. There was one thing that I might ha I had said that maybe, and it's just a matter of perspective. I've been doing this a long time. Like we go back to the new abolitionist radio days. When Scotty hit me up back in 2013, I had been a slavery abolitionist for some years already working on this. We put together a national uh, uh, movement back in 2010 to fight this thing. So I've seen movements come and go. I've seen organizations rise and fall. I saw Black Lives Matter be born. I was part of the protesting when it all happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was there for Occupy Wall Street. I was there for Hands Up, Don't Shoot. I was there for Say Her Name, Say His Name. I, I was there for all of that and saw it rise and fall. And I said at one point that I felt like BLM, 
blocked us, right, from our message that we were trying to, uh, to put out there, which was a specific message about a specific thing. And then it became a potpourri about all kinds of other problems. And I think some people didn't like that, but it is what it is. I was just saying that, you know, we'd already been talking about something, you know, and then here comes another group that gets elevated and we're lost in the mix. But we crawled and scratched our way every step of the way to the point where we're at right now, where slavery abolition has become a monster now in this country. And we have changed constitutions. Like, that's not something that's done every day, to change a constitution. So that happened yesterday. You can find it on YouTube or on our page or at Abolition Today on Facebook uh, if you want to go through it. I I think it was very powerful um, and worth sharing. And then I had an interview right after that with Lancer Allies, a uh, brother named Greg. Uh, who, Lancer Allies is like a group, and he invited me to about a week ago. After he, I guess he was introduced to me by somebody. And we talked a little bit, and he was fascinated by the work that we're doing. As much of it was new to him. But he said, you know, Max, um, you should join our group and do a presentation so the people there can have a better understanding of what you're talking about here, they really need to know. Uh, so we did that. And the group is set up in a way where I think the model is that by bringing people together across racial boundaries uh, that we help to, to better understand each other. Um, I don't know how if that's really like works that way, but I was willing to go ahead and do what I did. And, I, and we had a nice discussion. I broke down the system of slavery as we know it uh, from 1777 till today, in just a quick 30-minute discussion. And then we had some Q&A. Um, and I got some good feedback from that as well. A couple of letters came back that I had yet to read that I'm looking forward to reading after tonight's program um, came back uh, uh, positive. So the message is certainly getting out there so much. Um, the academic caucus is coming together. You've been here as a witness to this, these constant conversations with different professors and doctors all across the country, and they are loving the idea. Um, what was the one brother's name, Dr. Wasi, uh, out in uh, Professor Wasi out in uh, California, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was saying that one of the things that he'd like to start is to give his students, and his students are, are law students, by the way, so he's a professor there. He said to give his students the opportunity to present this case to the Supreme Court in a mock trial, but with real judges who would critique them on it. So it's a project that would take some time, of course, to put together. Um, but that is amazing to even think about that. I would love to be one of the students if that was the case. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I get to present it before the Supreme Court. Oh, come on, y'all. So that, that's, that's one of the ideas that he had. And uh, Mary out in California as well had some really good ideas. She was very inspired. She's a programmer for NASA, as I mentioned a couple weeks back. And she's already putting together the formats for our curriculums that we're proposing uh, in order to get into, like, seventh grade, high schools, universities, and even in teachers' colleges. So the interview with Lancer's Allies, that was pretty cool. The Academic Caucus, uh, that is looking good. And then one other thing happened is I've been invited to participate uh, in my hometown with a poetry fest in Patterson, New Jersey. I don't do it too often. I think I've been down there twice so far in the past 20 years. Uh, This time we get to perform uh, some spoken word, and we're going to do interviews. And on Monday, tomorrow, 
uh, we're going to pre-record a panel discussion for them to play during. They're going to watch the festival is going to watch the end of slavery, the fight for Amendment C, which is the story of how uh, we ended slavery in the Constitution of Utah uh, just in 2020 with Representative Sandra Hollins and Coletta Lynch and many others who were involved in it. It's a, it's a fantastic uh, documentary. It's only about 30 minutes long. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's called The End of Slavery, The Fight for Amendment C. You can find it on Amazon Prime. So people are going to watch that, and I'm going to have a panel discussion afterwards along with the producer, uh, Loki, of that particular film. So that gets that happens tomorrow uh, with Dennis Febo as well. He's, he's doing it, and Sister uh, Talina out there. All right, so that covers the week that has occurred. Anything you want to add to this past week? Because, like, you've been getting some experiences, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just great to, to connect and uh, going through some of these occurrences and these ongoing developments, you know, it's, it's, it's always welcome and, and, and reassuring to hear positive updates, uh, especially when it comes to abolitionism and uh, making some decisive gains uh, as regards abolitionism, as regards uh, weeding out or destroying to whatever degree possible this language that uh, helps to maintain and, and uphold systems and institutions that uh, are, are heinous in their very nature. We've got a lot of events coming up too that are like really important too. Um, on the 15th of this month, so this is coming up on the 15th, which is Tuesday, ACA3 gets its hearing in California. That's uh, with Sister Jamelia Land and Samuel Browns being the co-authors of that particular bill and uh, sponsored by Senator Kamlager. So that happens. They get their hearing on the 15th, and it's expected to pass, which means we've almost got involuntary servitude uh, to the point where it can be removed from the Constitution of California by a vote. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that win. From what I understand, we're only going to get one no vote. And that will feel good after what happened in Louisiana. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they spanked us in Louisiana, and we've learned some lessons since then. The next event that's happening, and we need your support and help on this, if you can, in any way at all. In Ohio, they're having their hearing on the 16th at in Columbus at the Capitol building. And if you're available and you want to testify, it starts at 3 p.m. Please go on down to the Capitol and testify, if you can, in favor of Senate Joint Resolution 1, okay? Senate Joint Resolution 1 at 3 p.m. in Columbus, Ohio, at the Capitol. We've got a couple of people that we know are going down there, uh, but we've got you know, pretty short notice to put this together, and we're doing our best. Uh, so if you just want to be a body and witness history, uh, in Ohio, about to end slavery for the first time in their uh, state's history, you might want to be down there too, just for that. Take some pictures, you know what I mean? Be a part of history. And you can also write letters. Uh, if you go to the .gov website for Ohio and you look up uh, the date for that hearing, SJR1, Senate Joint Resolution 1, on the 16th, you should be able to send in a letter of support. So you can send in a letter of support. That That would be very welcome as well, and I believe they'll read some of them too. So you might get your letter read there by one of the representatives. And then um, also 
you can just help us to raise the uh, awareness of this event on the 16th. You know, uh, get the profile up across the internet so people will, uh, know what's going on. If you follow me on Twitter at Max Parthis or on Facebook at Max Parthis or anywhere at Max Parthis, you'll see all of these little links and you can share them and, and help us to elevate uh, the circumstances. So we're kind of worried. It's a Republican-heavy committee. We're kind of worried about that. But we believe with the support of the people, if they're willing to get up and get out there and make this happen, we can get it done. Um, shout out to my sister Harmony X, Hannah X, out there in Ohio. Uh, she's going to be a speaker out there for sure. And I believe, I believe that she's going to start this one with, listen, if you vote no, you are voting for slavery. Make no mistake. Don't try to excuse it. You are voting for slavery. You're not going to do to us what Louisiana just did to us and get away with it. No. When you say no on this, you mean you want to keep slavery. Point blank, period. So I'm looking forward to sister doing that. She She's good at getting up in those grills. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, also, uh, Oregon is having some issues as well. And we're trying to figure out how to help them through the Abolish Slavery National Network. And when I say they're having some issues, I mean, there, there's a gag rule going on. The same type of gag rule they had during the 1850s with the abolitionist movement. In order to shut us down, they simply will not give us hearings for our bills. They don't even want the people to get a chance to have their own opportunity to decide if they want slavery in their constitution or not. So instead, they kill it by not allowing it to have a hearing. They did that in Texas. Uh, they did it in Florida. Uh, they did it in Minnesota, and uh, now it looks like they're trying to do it in Oregon. So we're going to start to put some pressure on the representatives of Oregon in order to get a hearing for their bill, their abolitionist bill, in order to end slavery in Oregon. So that happens next week. We're going to meet with uh, Sister Jordan out there and the rest of the team to make sure that we can find a way to get past this. we got to win these. We can't afford to keep losing these states because of this organized opposition by literal enslavers, pro-slavery advocates. In 2021, pro-slavery advocates. Who'd have thunk it, man? But here we are. Um, Let me see. Oh, and the 19th is a big day. It's Juneteenth, and I do want to talk about Juneteenth and the history of that and some of the things going along with that. But on Juneteenth, we are introducing the 28th freaking amendment, (laughs) y'all. The Abolitionist Amendment. It's a joint resolution that will counter the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. That happens on Juneteenth of 2021. We're going to make Juneteenth a holiday for a reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for a real exactly. reason. Not not because of some fake freedom, but some real freedom about to come. That's so strong. That is certainly strong. Uh, it's going to have some amazing speakers. If you want to go check it out, um, make sure you check the links at our on our website at uh, Facebook, or you can go to bit.ly slash, that's bit.ly slash and the exception, all right? bit.ly slash and the exception. It's going to be a lineup that consists of Bianca Tyler, who's the executive director for Works Rises, as well as the lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network's federal team. Uh, she's doing a wonderful job. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is a testimony to the job that she is doing, right? Uh, Tina Wyatt, y'all remember her? She's a descendant of Harriet Tubman, and she was on our show some weeks back and a good friend of ours. She's also a slavery abolitionist and will be speaking there that day. Then you got uh, 
Jorge Renault, who is a, the National Criminal Justice Director for Latino Justice. Uh, you've got Michael Mendoza, the Director of National Ad- Advocacy for Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Brother Kamal Allen, who is the lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network. And Daryl Atkinson, the co-director for Forward Justice. We've also got Maurice uh, B.P. Weeks. He's the executive director for Action Center on Race and the Economy. And last but not least, our sister, Felita Hicks, the poet in residence and civil rights course. And uh, shout out to Felita. We go way back, like 20-something years back, all the way back to the prismaticdreams.com days when we used to have the message boards and do live 365 and all those things that was going on. So shout out to her. That is amazing. Don't you think? Absolutely. Like, somebody asked me, he said, Max, did you think you'd see this in your lifetime? And I was like, you know, not until August 28, 2020. And then it went from being a dream to a plan. And that was with the launch of the Abolish Slavery National Network. Because that's what we got together for. So we could end these things. And we started on it immediately. And so far, it's been four states that no longer have slavery now or involuntary servitude, and a joint resolution on the federal level. All right, so what I want to do is I'm going to show some love to Byron Allen tonight, right? He had this interview with Mark Lamont Hill on the Black News Channel. Shout out to the Black News Network channel. Uh, I'm glad that we got one, (laughs) you know? I don't agree with everything you say all the time sometimes. Mark, you've been letting me down a few times already. Uh, But I I am appreciative that we have our own news station like that. So, uh, Byron Allen was being interviewed by Mark Lamont Hill, and uh, we caught a lot of, man, he dropped some bombs. Some of the things he was saying was like, wow, dude, you've been practicing this, right? You're trying to be a poet? Are you preparing for a book? What's up? So I'm going to throw some, here's clips throughout the night mixed with some music. So let's start out with this one. Uh, The first one is called Byron Allen and the Four Ds. That's the letter D, the Four Ds. That'll be followed by Kanye West, Wash Us in the Blood. You're listening to Abolition Today with Brother Tag Harmon and Max Parthas here. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. So I thought about the matrix that we live in as black people. I thought about how this has occurred for centuries and decades after decades. And I said it's the four, it's those four D's that they put on us that you have to work through. Where if you bring this up, if Byron and Mark bring this up, they dismiss us. And then as we get a little frustrated about bringing uh, this up and being dismissed, they move on to that second D, they discredit us. And after they dismiss us and they discredit us, they move on to that third D because we're really kind of getting amped up and saying, no, but we're dying here. Literally, you're, you're choking us to death in the street. They move on to that third D, they demonize us. And then once they demonize us, they can move on to that fourth and inevitable D because once they demonize you, they're in check with their so-called Christian selves. They can move on to that fourth and inevitable D, destroy you. And that's the, the matrix that we've wow. been in as black people in this country. Those four Ds, dismiss and, and discredit, demonize and destroy. And I thought, well, how do we come out of this matrix and really address the real issues? Because with that, that everything is a distraction. You're, you're killing us. Uh, you're incarcerating us. A roaring lion walking about 
seeking whom he may devour. Ronnie J. Pitching me up. Back to the world, boom, way on some bump. Take some rain, none some rain on one one. Rain come, rain come, come shine, come rain, come on. Southside, let it bang. Outside, let it rain. Rain down on the pain. Rain down on the slain. Rain down for my mom. Rain down on the farm. Shower us with your love. Wash us in the blood. Drop this for the thug. No, I grew up in the mud. The top is not enough. Wash us in the blood. What it does, rain down on us, whole life selling drugs, wash us in the blood, wash us in your blood, wash us in the blood, wash us in the blood, wash us in the blood. Holy Spirit, come down, Holy Spirit, come down, Holy Spirit, help now, Holy Spirit, help now, Holy Spirit, come down, Holy Spirit, come down, Holy Spirit, help now, Holy Spirit, help now, wash us in the blood. Selling drugs, genocide what it does, mass cost what it does, cost cost what it does, another life being lost. Set it off, set it off. Execution 30 states, 30 states still execute. I should not kill, I should not spill. Next tales at the rendezvous. We got your time in the federal. Why box you in like a sectional? We walk through the blast in the residue. Now look what we headed to. Rain down on us. Rain down on us. Wash us in the blood. Wash us in the blood. Holy Spirit, come down. Holy Spirit, come down. And they trying to control, yeah. They want me to calm down. They don't want me to Kanye. They don't want Kanye to be Kanye. They want to sign a fake Kanye. They trying to sign a Kanye. That's right, I call him Kanye. But don't take me the wrong way. But don't take me the wrong way. Because God took me a long way. They want to edit the interview. They want to take it to interlude. Cut a whole sentence to interlude. You know that it's fake if it's in the news. Do I let it fly when I'm in the booth? The devil a lie and I've been the truth. Living because nobody living and nobody getting it. Doing a different way. Rain down on us. Holy Spirit, come down. Holy Spirit, come down. We need you now. Wash us in the blood. Whole life being thugs. No choice selling drugs. Genocide what it does. Slavery what it does. Abolition. Genocide what it does. Slavery what it does. That was uh, Kanye West that you just heard. Um, And, of course, Byron Allen with the four D's, which is they dismiss us, disrespect us, uh, or discredit us, rather, demonize us, and then destroy us. Uh, And that is the case. You know, we see it happen all the time. Uh, I want to give a special shout-out to Brother Kanye West, because, you know, we was talking about him recently, and you hear him in the music right now. He's still talking about the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery and genocide. But back, I remember when he first started tweeting about the 13th Amendment, and everybody was talking about how crazy he was. And look at this right now. Here we are, right? Uh, we we putting out the damn amendment he was talking about on the 19th, and everybody else looks stupid, you know? 
particularly that one dude that we watched the video of, uh, dude with the red hair. Uh, I forget his name. Let me, let me see what his name is. Let's look at here. Got so much damn data in front of me. Dolamore? Dolamore? Oh, yeah. yeah, Dolamore. Where he said Kanye West gets MAGA on SNL, calls for repeal of the 13th Amendment. And we watched the video then and again recently just because, you know, screw him very much. And the dude played a, a vi- on his video, he put the 13th Amendment right there on screen. And then he read it, went right through the, except for prisoners duly convicted. In, you know, like it wasn't even there. It didn't even register him uh, while he was ragging on Kanye West. You know, I'm not a fan of some of the things that uh, Kanye does. Like that MAGA hat was not for me at all. I understand where he's coming from, but hell, said, nah, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? But nonetheless, he had done some things that had never been done before. He brought attention to this issue that still reverberates with us right now, just with a few tweets. And I appreciate that. And he's always been pro-black, no matter what. You know what I mean? Uh, he's, he's been, his music has always been that way, straight for us. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. No, and, and so that's, that's, that's really what's, what's doing. And I'm, I'm particularly reminded Speaking of uh, the four D's that Byron Allen mentioned, uh, you know, going into that question of um, of demonization, and that seemed to be part of uh, what you were describing there, as far as uh, right. a lot of ways of what seemed to be undermining uh, the the many accurate uh, elements of, of of the core message of, of what was being said there. Do sad. In the White House, Kanye West sat in the White House and told the sitting president about the 13th Amendment being a trapdoor to slavery and how it worked. And everybody, did, what did they do? They dismissed him, they discredited him, they demonized him, and then they tried to get him canceled, completely destroyed. And you know, I felt for him after all of that. But Kanye, we thank you, bro. Let's get into some information regarding this Juneteenth. You know. Uh, we, we kind of broke down to you how we feel about Juneteenth, taking two steps backwards, you know what I mean, every year like this, getting a little tired. But we're watching uh, the message grow and others incorporate this into their Juneteenth festival. Uh, like my brother Jamal out here in South Carolina, one of the biggest Juneteenth festivals ever, and he incorporates this message constantly into what he's doing. Uh, others are doing the same as well. But let's hear from the prisoners, right, the inmates. So we're, we're sponsored by jailhouse stories speech in part, right? And also there are other inmate organizations that really follow our work and what we're trying to achieve here and support it both. But this comes from, for instance, uh, this one up here. This comes from the, uh, okay, legal services for prisoners with children, right? This is an article they put out. They said the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment might have ended unrestricted private slavery, but the 13th Amendment's exception clause and California's Article 1, Section 6 codified slavery and involuntary servitude, respectively, in foundational governing documents, effectively creating three system of Jim Crow laws and convict leasing the modern prison industrial complex. Now, this was profound to me. He said, indeed, has there been a family in any generation since Juneteenth, 1866, that hasn't had a loved one serving as a slave of this people? 
Like, wow, right? For real. Not a generation that hasn't gone by. Yeah, yeah. As as was concisely put recently with regard to some of the ongoing themes of of the colonial uh, spaces that have been mapped out uh, in this region where uh, that crime of crimes um, still continues to this day. Uh, One of which, or related to which, I heard uh, mentioned in that track, which is this question of execution and this claimed right to... uh, to snuff out lives in that way, mm-hmm. uh, mentioning about 36 states. 30, 30 states. 30, sta- allow, yeah. 36, 30 states uh, appreciated. And, you know, just the, the, the utter barbarity of, of all of that and how uh, U.S. exceptionalism when it comes to uh, enslavement and, and systems of, of enslavement and torture uh, seems to very much continue in that way with these uh, laws passed to allow for uh, the uh, death by firing squad. You're in the state that does that right now. Precisely. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, and and just all of these other ways of just snuffing out human life Mm -hmm. that that, uh, they seem uh, hell-bent on uh, formulating. And so I I did want to make sure to to shout out and and, uh, point toward the uh, struggle ongoing that uh, our comrade, Brother Sirajuddin, has been uh, fending off inside of Indiana for years now um, off of uh, just being completely railroaded uh, by the state of Indiana. And uh, so many of the kinds of features of these kinds of cases that we hear time and time again, and, and yet also so many uh, just bizarre and uh, unjust occurrences with regard to uh, that brother. And so recently, um, some of you may have heard about his case and uh, how uh, he was roped up into this uh, sweep, this so-called sweep where they, you know, uh, attack particularly street families, but uh, attack groups uh, in, in a coordinated fashion and, uh, and enslave as many of, of them as they can. And this brother had already just been recently enslaved and had been for uh, the, 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 the majority of uh, this brother's life, uh, certainly since he was um, a teen. And, uh, you know, so much of, of that trial um, is questionable. Uh, some of the, the particulars, you know, are pointed toward here. Um, and, and so just, and generally, uh, Indiana has a, a, a longstanding uh, record of, of its uh, prison plantation uh, being particularly racially hostile and racist, um, and uh, Klan activity being very much uh, a, a part of that system, which is a part of many of the state systems, uh, of course, and um, all really uh, in, in different forms and fashions throughout uh, uh, these United Slavers. But Indiana has a particular approach uh, toward that, and recently um, such, such uh, racist views and um, politics uh, were, uh, came through again, and uh, he's been facing a lot of repression and suppression on the inside, was attacked particularly on Ramadan, which of course we know uh, for uh, the Islamic community is, is a very sacred time, um, is a very sacred period. And so for them to target him uh, and, and, and uh, uh, ship him into solitary, um, which is an even, an even more torturous form of enslavement, um, 
in, in that kind of way with that kind of timing uh, is, is, is just uh, very vile and fits their usual uh, patterns in, in many ways. So his family continues to advocate uh, for him and continues to ask for the community uh, more broadly to advocate um, uh, for him and, and, and his release. He does have a fundraising page, uh, so that can be found on freesirajadeen.com and is also on Cash App, uh, which is also dollar sign freesirajadeen, the number one. So uh, that's on Cash App, uh, which is at, at Free Sirajadeen. So Free Sirajadeen, the number one, or at Free Sirajadeen and freesirajadeen.com. And, uh, you know, of course, there are many other um, atrocities going on with that case and, and, and far too many others uh, to, to, to really even be able to enumerate. Shout out to the family. Stay strong. Hopefully we can get through this. Uh, I, I was speaking to Brother Alomba <clears throat> out of Louisiana the other day. He's, you know, been locked up for years and years. And he was telling me, Max, man, I'll be dreaming about this. I think about it all the time, this abolition thing. It's the only hope I got. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of people feel like it. It's the only hope they got. And, you know, you're talking about Indiana. It's no coincidence, I suspect, that Reverend uh, uh, Amoja Ajabu was the first person in modern history to run for office on an abolitionist platform. His uh, platform was to remove the exception clause from the Indiana State Constitution. Uh, so I don't think that's a coincidence. That was back in 2014. And since then, we've seen many candidates run on an abolitionist platform all the way up to presidential. Uh, Mark Charles was one of our guests during 2020 campaigns running as president. Uh, and he was in 38 states. He did pretty decent as well. I want to read this article, or part of this article that came from uh, Prison News, uh, yeah, it came from prisonlegalnews.org. It's about the efforts that we're making. And after that, I want to bring us back in time a little bit and ground us in reality with a clip called The Kings and Queens of Slavery. So let's, let me read this. It says, after the 13th Amendment prohibition of chattel slavery in 1865, Section 2 of the 1868 14th Amendment changed the wording of the above article to Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state, excluding Indians not taxed. There is no longer a distinction between free persons and all other persons or slaves amounting to acceptance of a chattel slave free nation, while not explicitly barring or condemning plain slavery because of an exception to its prohibition in the 13th Amendment's seemingly abolition of slavery. It is the language of Section 1 of the 13th Amendment that has plagued the new wave slaves in the U.S. since 1865. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist for the United States. This exception led many of the former rebel states to enact laws primarily and specifically targeting citizens of color and designing and designed to easily convict them of various crimes. Once duly convicted of a crime, these newly enfranchised citizens became renacons, performing the same type of labor, former oppressors who in turn pay the prisons or states for the prisoners' labor. It was reported 
that by 1898, a whopping 78% of Alabama's total income was derived from renter cons, also known as convict leases. That's pretty powerful. What do you think, brother? Well, so many different thoughts uh, off of off of some 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 uh, experiences like those, and off of histories such as this. Uh, we're talking about Alabama. I mean, just thinking back to this article uh, we were discussing a little bit recently that the sister Ballard um, uh, draws from and references in, in her recently published book. Uh, I, I think many of the narratives around uh, torture, such as uh, waterboarding, for example, uh, would really point that toward, uh, you know, what's what's termed uh, Middle Eastern, you know, uh, uh, targeted attacks on so-called terrorism and, and terrorists, um, et cetera, uh, and, and, and that kind of uh, historical lineage. But uh, at least within that that text's uh, documentation and, and, and recounting of the history, you really find the origins of, of that vile practice in inside the dungeons of uh, the state of Alabama, um, that, of, of waterboarding. And so, um, and they, they, they called it by a different name, but it was the same exact tactic. And, and perhaps you can link that back even further. But just to say, I mean, this is the early uh, 20th century, early 1900s, uh, uh, inside of carceral uh, slavery, Alabama, um, where they're, they're practicing these kinds of heinous uh, acts upon enslaved human beings. So, uh, so, so much comes to mind uh, behind that. And the rent language, which is, of course, so dehumanizing, uh, beyond dehumanizing, uh, it, you know, in, 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 in a sense, but the, the reality is also, of course, dehumanizing. So it's, it's on, 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 in multiple senses, it, is, it seems to be so. And uh, it just reminds me of the, the kind of language that was used about so-called feeding and watering the assets. Um, so, right, last week. Yeah, exactly, uh, with this particular uh, host and, and op for uh, the, the red states or what have you. The, 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 uh, that was Iowa with uh, Jan Mickelson. With, uh, thank you, with Jan Mickelson, exactly. Mickelson's language. So, so these are... These are ongoing atrocities, and they and they link up in the ways that, uh, you know, the 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 full humanity. As as I heard uh, one of your comrades speaking to just recently, the, and and of course you were speaking to this as well. The, the full humanity of enslaved and formerly enslaved human beings is uh, constantly being stripped at at, at uh, so many different levels. It's constantly being attacked uh, in so many different ways. And so, uh, so yeah, these dehumanization campaigns are 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 so longstanding uh, as regards enslavement, and, and uh, it needs to be uh, halted, you know, been needed, uh, of course. For real. Well, how about we go here? Let's go ahead and play this clip, Kings and Queens of Slavery, and then we'll come back and talk about it on the other side. We're going to take you back in time a little bit, so that you can understand the intentions of specific people, what they were trying to achieve, against who, and why, and in their own words. Um, so once again, you're listening to Abolition Today. Your host tonight is Pat Harmon and Max Pontus. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 The fourth challenge is to take back our streets from crime, gangs, and drugs. 
And we have actually been making progress on this count as a nation because of what local law enforcement officials are doing, because of what citizens and neighborhood patrols are doing. We're making some progress. Much of it is related to the initiative called community policing because we have finally gotten more police officers on the street. That was one of the goals that the president had when he pushed the crime bill that was passed in 1994. He promised 100,000 police. We're moving in that direction, but we can see it already makes a difference because if we have more police interacting with people, having them on the streets, we can prevent crimes. We can prevent petty crimes from turning into something worse. But we also have to have an organized effort against gangs. Just as in a previous generation, we had an organized effort against the mob. We need to take these people on. They are often connected to big drug cartels. They are not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heal. And the president has asked the FBI to launch a very concerted effort against gangs everywhere. everywhere. You must take back the streets. And you take back the streets by more cops, more prisons. I hope this crime bill, when it passes, the Biden-Hatch crime bill, as it becomes law, God willing, I hope that we will have ended once and for all this notion that somehow Democrats are weak on crime. The consensus is, A, we must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my son. So I don't want to ask. What made them do this? They must be taken off the street. We all agree on that. Now, we can find some fringe folk and left-wingers in my party who say, no, that's not what we should do. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without any conscience developing, they will or a portion of them will become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. I don't care why someone is a malefactor in society. We have an obligation to cordon them off from the rest of society, try to help them, try to change their behavior, but they are in jail. Mr. Speaker, I rise in strong opposition to this so-called crime prevention bill. Mr. Speaker, let us be honest, this is not a crime prevention bill. This is a punishment bill, a retribution bill, a vengeance bill. All over the industrialized world now, countries are saying, let us put an end to state murder, let us stop capital punishment, but here what we're talking about is more and more capital punishment. What we're discussing now is an issue where some of our friends are saying we're not getting tough enough on the criminals. But my friends, we have 
the highest percentage of people in America in jail per capita of any industrialized nation on earth. We've beaten South Africa. We've beaten the Soviet Union. What do we have to do? Put half the country behind bars? Mr. Speaker, instead of talking about punishment and vengeance, let us have the courage to talk about the real issue. How do we get to the root causes of crime? How do we stop crime? And Mr. Speaker, I've got a problem. I've got a problem with a president and a Congress which allows five million children to go hungry, two million people to sleep out on the streets, cities to become breeding grounds for drugs and violence. And they say, we're getting tough on crime. If you want to get tough on crime, let's deal with the causes of crime. Let's demand that every man, woman, and child in this country have a decent opportunity and a decent standard of living. Let's not keep putting poor people into jail and disproportionately punishing blacks. Time of the gentleman has expired. Abolition. Abolition. Bernie Sanders kept it real on that. That's the kings and queens of slavery I mixed together to let you know uh, what they were thinking at the time, what they thought of us, what we uh, get us off the streets, beyond the pale. What did Biden say one time? They're going to take on my sons. Which son are we talking about? The one that's talking about how we should be paying Hennessy race niggas? Uh, is that the one you're talking about? The one that's using the N-word with his white lawyer, like it's, you know, it's his best friend, um, talking about, you know, his big penis and uh, how he only loves this white guy because he's black and all kinds of derogatory terms. Is that the son you don't want us to take on? Right, you know, and the only person to keep it real was Bernie. You heard Hillary Clinton calling us super predators, and then you heard Biden talking about how we're predators behind the pale and he don't care how we got this way, and he just want to lock them up, just get them off the street. God, have we heard that before? Is that straight out of the 1800s and the 1700s? Oh, my God. Uh, check. Well, and, of course, couldn't, couldn't fail to, to hear the, the, the booming echo of, of uh, some of uh, the, the, the Clinton, the, uh, I don't know, the, the other half of the Clinton uh, duo uh, regime, uh, as it were, uh, just talking about bringing bringing people to heel and super predators, um, and and you know the irredeemability of of human beings, and you know how how that ha- has had such a negative um, has been such a negative force uh, in the world uh, since those statements were made, and uh, yeah, with Biden talking about uh malefactors uh that that's just mm. that that type of language um you know it just it it, it continues to speak to the, the the deceptive uh nature of this entire enterprise of um of human enslavement you know and it, and it bothers me because i haven't had people do this to me like they don't know me particularly white people to be like uh they'll tell me about how they're supporters of biden you know and i gotta give them such my side eyes go so hard, I have eyes in the back of my head. That's how I'll be looking at them. You know what I mean? Like, are you for real? Like, this man is responsible for a genocide in my own family, in my own community, people being uh, incarcerated 
and forced into prisons for life over the most minuscule things, murdered in the streets by cops who are out here now funded by this money that you put out and incentivized by the money that you put out for the reasons that you stated right there in those speeches. Uh, So you're saying to me that you're supporting the person responsible for the death and destruction of my community. I don't give a damn if he's president. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people in Colorado's maximum security prisons who could make a just as good president as he, he does. Way better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just, that don't excuse it for me. It's not okay. The bill is still in play right now. We just told you about a guy a couple of weeks ago who is doing life in prison for $10 worth of weed, being his third strike, you know, three strike laws that they brought into play with that, which were also uh, written and sponsored by prisons, uh, for-profit prisons that launched in tandem with the Clinton-Biden crime bill. I'm talking specifically about the GEO group. And if the GEO group is listening, that's why your ass is about to go bankrupt. (laughs) 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 Well, Bernie said, he he, is real as he could be. He said, this is a punishment bill. This is a retribution bill. This is a vengeance bill. Punishment, retribution, and vengeance for what exactly? Mm-hmm. And you know, yesterday at the uh, the alert, the allies uh, interview that I did, they asked me about that. You know, some black people uh, who were in office, like Charles Rangel, uh, voted yes for that, right, for the, the Clinton crime bill. And how do I feel about that? Well, you know, they were scared. You just dropped a goddamn zombie apocalypse on us with crack cocaine. Hmm. <laughs> you know, like it was literally like a zombie apocalypse that was drug related because of what they did. We didn't bring crack cocaine in here. It was the CIA working with Ollie North and President Reagan, Reagan who brought this crack cocaine into the United States so that they could fund their secret freaking wars in Nicaragua and wherever else they were at. And where are we at today? Ollie North was, it, it turned out to be a Fox News uh, uh, anchor, you know, instead of being in prison. <laughs> like, all the lives that were destroyed in that zombie apocalypse, we were scared to death. So black people were looking for any way to be safe. I don't know if you went through the South Bronx during that period, but I have. It was terrible. But it wasn't us that did it. It was done to us to set up this whole prison for profit scheme that they had going on with the same rhetoric we hear from the 1800s. All right. Um, Brother Tag, you want to add anything more to that clip before we hit our music break for the evening? Uh, Off the clip, I mean, the the clip just speaks so many volumes. And I think that, if I'm not mistaken, Charles Rangel was, uh, at least for some period of that, uh, some kind of a drug czar for for that uh, particular administration. Um, as regards those those uh, efforts at at um, rapidly increasing the uh, enslaved population, so um, yeah, you know it's it's extremely there. There are a lot of different uh, entanglements, and, and uh, there's 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 more than enough uh, blame and and uh, accountability to go around. And right. As you've been saying, and, and I'm in agreement with this. Uh, that that. That ire and that, and that fire um, is, is best directed toward those who are most responsible for, for putting us in these circumstances. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I, I share your, um, your view in that respect. 
Yeah, that, that's the thing that gets me in trouble sometimes, <laughs> keeping it real. Uh, speaking of keeping it real, we want to continue on with some of this Byron Allen wisdom that we've been getting tonight, you know. The next one, you know, I don't even want to describe it. I want you to hear it here on the program. You can get this video of Byron Allen's interview in its entirety on our page as well from uh, the Black News Channel. Uh, but we've got him coming up, followed by Brass Against, Wake Up, Rage Against the Machine Cover. And that's featuring Sophia Urista, and it's arranged by Andrew Gutaskas. Man, I'm screwing this guy's name up. It's G-U-T-A-U-S-K-A-S. Sounds Greek, right? Dukaskas. <laughs> Gutaskas. <laughs> All right, and Brad Hammond. I'm sorry uh, about that, Andrew. I'll make up for it one day. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. When Coretta Scott King said to me, the, the truth of it is our most powerful weapon, I said, we have to explain this to everybody involved, and that's everybody watching, and also white America. And what I said is, we have to understand how deep this racism is in America and how ugly it is. It's so deep and it's so ugly that, you know, it, it, there was a book that was written in 1916 called The Passage of the Great Race, uh, 1916, written by a young man, a young white man named Madison Grant. Well-to-do, lived in upstate New York, uh, went to law school, and he was upset. He was upset about the immigration in New York. And when he walked around New York, he was upset about all of the, uh, the, the Europeans coming into New York, the Jews, the Italians, and he writes this book, The Passage of the Great Race, Keep America White and Pure. This book becomes a big hit. It takes off and it changes immigration laws, so forth and so on. And this young man read this book and he said, this is the greatest book I have ever read. As a matter of fact, this book is my Bible. That young man was Adolf Hitler. So not only did we create this racism and perfected and exported all the way to Europe, it came back as the Holocaust. As a matter of fact, Adolf Hitler gave an interview to the New York Times, and he said, I really don't understand why America's coming down on me so heavy. Everything I learned about immigration control, I learned from America. As a matter of fact, I thought America was going to become my partner. Think about that. Adolf Hitler wow. thought America was going to become his partner. And he also said, if you think about it, Adolf Hitler sent his Nazi, no, his Nazi lawyers to America and said, study the Jim Crow laws that they're using on the Negroes and come back and use those same laws on the Jews. That's how deep That's how and deep ugly and our racism is. Although you're trying to discredit, you're still never ready.
by Sophia Eureka. So that was pretty awesome, man. I'm fired up. <laughs> like, wake up. I know, right? Hey, we got a couple of callers I want to bring in. So I see hands up over there. So let me, I got two. So I want to bring in, let's start with 3251. Uh, state your name, question or comment. 3251, you're on the air. Sorry, this is uh, Sean. Question, I don't know hey, myself. Sean. What's happening, bro? I was Sean, actually, uh, hey, back, say, brother, Shaq, how are you? I was actually, a, I was waiting to see if you'd mention this, but it's actually pretty, um, coincidentally just played that clip by Biden because um, I was waiting to see if you mentioned that he was, um, um, this whole thing, America's back, he was in that G7 conference um, criticizing China for what? Forced labor? <laughs> like, are you oh, kidding me? <laughs> Did you hear That's, about that? You... No, I hadn't heard about him doing it recently. But they've been doing that year after year after year now. Yeah, uh, it was China this weekend. Like it was the first, you know, America's back. You know, supposedly this moral force in the world is back, and what we're doing is criticizing China. I know. It's just my. Sometimes my jaw drops, and sometimes I'm not surprised. But um, I don't know if that could be used. Just thinking, with the the bill coming up, if that could be used in our favor saying the president of the United States is against forced labor? Well, how about <laughs> right? America? We should do that, right? Use his own words yeah, against us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a perfect opportunity to be like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> a good right? homecoming for him, right? You're back in America now. What do you say in China? <laughs> I said I was only you one know, in China, about China. Two weeks ago, we were talking about America and the glass house that they live in and throwing these stones mm-hmm. like what you just mentioned. Uh, we mm-hmm. have some of the we use some of the most prison labor anywhere, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. fact, we have seven times the prison population of Iran and, and multiple times the prison population. Of, mm-hmm. And every single person in our prison is expected to work, all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole the whole um, South Africa example is interesting. So I believe it was um, in 1986 where actually Biden went with a – I believe he was um, took some people from the Congressional Black Caucus and was, you know, um, denouncing apartheid. You know, and, and we talk about being worse than slavery. You know, in some ways we're worse than that system of apartheid. You know, like but no one really says that with the prison sentences that we have, and the, you know, like. And Sean, I, I, yeah. I want to get you. I want to get your take on what you heard of the summit yesterday. But before that, I want to bring in our other caller to join the conversation. All right? Sure, of course. All right. 9147, you're here with us on the Aboriginal Day. I think that might be Brother Aloma calling in. Yeah, that's me, Max, brother. Hey, what's happening, brother? You're here with us. Uh, Peace, man. Sean, myself, and Tag. Peace, peace. Salute. Yeah, peace. I'm just sitting here listening to y'all. Uh, I want to read this quote. I want to try to be brief, Max, and sum it up right quick. Uh, by Dr. King. And this on the, the crime, uh, the discussion and the debate on crime. And I was just listening to that clip y'all played by Hillary Clinton. So, and so this is what King said, Dr. King, to Lyndon Johnson in a telegram on violence. He said, though the aimless violence and destruction may be contained by way of military means. Only drastic changes in the life of the poor will provide the kind of order you desire. 
there is no question that the violence must be halted. But Congress has consistently refused to vote a halt to the destruction of the lives of black people in the ghetto. Um, if our government cannot create jobs, it cannot govern. It cannot have white affluence amid black poverty and have racial harmony. The turmoil of the ghetto is the externalization of black people's inner torment and rage. So that was Dr. King. Now, I just want to comment on the, on the, the discussion and the debate on crime in this country. It seemed like in the 60s, um, with, well, let me put it this way, y'all, and then I'm going to ask the question. All right. Um, after, after slavery was made, um, was abolished, and, 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 and they come up with this, this, this slavery exception clause, um, then convict leasing was put on trial and they did away with convict leasing. It seems like the government had the understanding that at that time when they did away with convict leasing that in order to to get us black on the plantation, they had to do something drastic, something like what you're talking about right now, something to corrupt the morals of the people to to be able to justify them bringing us back on them prison farms and and what they have done, what they have successfully did after, only after the assassinations of Malcolm X and Dr. King and the persecutions of our freedom movements in the 60s. Because if you think about it, Malcolm X and Dr. King and freedom movement, black people wasn't talking about no prisons at that time. They didn't say that they wanted that to deal with the problems that they were facing. Those leaders had black people in the streets saying that to solve this problem, they wanted jobs, they wanted um, they wanted living wage jobs, they wanted justice. Black people, wasn't, it was only in slavery that was thinking about um, dealing with the, the, the problem that we were facing in terms of prisons and law enforcement and stuff like that. But when I, so I just want to ask you, the question that y'all is, 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 do y'all think had Malcolm X, Dr. King, just people like that, uh, uh, of that stature, would have been living to continue to fight the, 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 these conservatives on the far right that was, that was trying to push to get tough on the Southern strategy and get tough on crime philosophy? Do you think if these men would have still have been alive, have, would never have gotten assassinated, would they would have gotten that in, you know, these tough on crime um, laws that got us to where we at with a disproportionate number of our people incarcerated. I don't know if I would be willing to speak to a what if of that scenario because their deaths had an impact as well. Uh, you know what I mean? Like there, there was a lot Ooh. came behind their, their, them being murdered had a major impact as well. So that impact was vanished right off the bat, and them being alive now is a what if. Uh, would they have a copy something? Yeah, I don't think I want to know what it is. See what I'm saying, Max, is that when I study that period, and I don't profess to know everything, I just don't recall, you know, this huge audience of black people at that time 
saying that that's how they wanted to deal with their problems. They wanted prisons. They wanted law enforcement. I don't recall that. No, I don't recall that. And so, right, I don't recall that. Period. I only recall after they, after those, after our leaders was assassinated, that the ones that was bringing the truth. When they was assassinated and persecuted, and wasn't nobody left on the scene to challenge these people. They, the, the, right. the get tough on crime philosophy, the Southern Strat, all that stuff was smooth sailing. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, I, I, I feel what I feel what you're saying, and uh, so are, you're it's saying where could, could, could you? It's facts. Could you point something out to tell me where black, where it was just all these black people that said, you know, at that time in the 60s that they wanted prisons, they wanted law enforcement surveillance uh, to deal no, with, it, to deal with pro- okay, that's, that's, that's it. That's it all I want to say. I'm out of here. No, nah. nah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Brother Loma calling from behind enemy lines, dropping the knowledge. Much respect. Yeah. And yeah. they had prisons as well as Phoenix. Uh, Brother Loma. Yeah, I'm still on, man, if you listen. If you have anything else, if not, I'll need to mute you for the background noise, uh, unless you have something else you want to say. No, that, that's just the main. It, it's always a lot, Max, you know, I have to say, but that's just for right now. You know, I, I, I you know, it's, it's just, it just sickens me, man. You know how they, 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 they corrupt us, man, put all these drugs, start, and, and, and they use Rick Ross up, you know, and, 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 and he didn't know about it at the time. According to you know, he he, did, he said he didn't know about the the the, um, the Nicaraguans and the the the, 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 um, the thing you were speaking about with the wall well, about how they yeah he yeah at the time he said he didn't know about all that. But it, you know when you just look at it, how they you know put all these drugs in our communities and then blame us for it. You know it, 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 yeah. it's it's it's. Yeah, it's, it's just sad. It's, it is sad, brother. In 20 years, they'll be blaming the children for being violent. And, 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 they, and now they got us fighting each other. It, 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 they done created them drugs, you know, the, the, the situation that went down that, that, that was exposed by um, Gary Rabb that worked for the San Jose Mercury News, an investigative report about these drugs being flown on U.S. aircraft into this country, you know. Yeah. Um, That's that dark alliance, right? Yeah, dark alliance, right. You know, we we as a community, it seems like we have let these people gotten away with this. You know, we have never, you know, see, like, I look at I look at the drugs, the, the crack cocaine and stuff, I look at it the same way as COVID. I think that we should treat it the same way like that. I think that that's not a time to, like, you know, to get into a retributive frame of right. mindset and a vengeance frame of mindset, you know. It, 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 we, we might have something. We might have something about the play. We can barely hear you with that background noise, but I had to uh, mute you at this moment. What I want to do is get that answer from uh, Sean, and then I want to play a song that I think you're going to appreciate both of you. Actually, I think everybody will appreciate it. And we'll continue to show some love to Brother Byron Allen. So, Sean, real quick, what do you think about the summit, man? Uh, 
I was going to say um, one quick thing. I, I um, really appreciate um, what Brother Alombo just said because I've been thinking for a long time, you know, that um, the, the uh, political manipulation or exploitation of black desire, you know, mm-hmm. it's only, it, black desire only matters when it's, I, um, what's the term, the interests converge with white interests. <laughs> and other than that, you know, you can forget about what, you know, the whole thing that, you know, has been de- all the demands and the desires. You can just forget about that unless it aligns with what white people want. <laughs> but um, the, the summit, yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was good. Um, the one thing I thought was a little bit um, ironic. I don't know if you caught it or not. Was um, the way some of the organizers were talking about um, Assad, um like uh, they were saying, we have to love each other and care for each other. And I was like, yeah, what about what, what about what you said about the Thirteenth Amendment? Like you have a slave yeah. abolitionist right here. <laughs> right. Like it right. just it just seems like, and I'm not like faulting anybody, but it just seems like people invoke certain memories of certain people, but they're only invoking part of it, um, which I think is dangerous. <laughs> you know. Right. It's not it's, a but, vote about the Thirteenth Amendment in a book. Yeah, right, right. Back in the 70s, we had her, we had Lee Wood, we had Angela Davis, and others who were talking about the 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was just, I don't want to say maybe ironic, but like with having a slavery abolitionist on the, on the um, organized, you know, on the event, and then, you know, kind of, I think like some of the um, aims are, if we just, you know, like, pull our resources or just like help each other then this problem go away and I'm just thinking you know from talking to you no it won't <laughs> you know like well, they'll just keep on sucking all the resources back out like see, I'm not trying to fault anybody in particular but I think the strategy is very different yes it is um, I, I highly suggest people check out the summit on accountability that we had yesterday it's, yeah yeah there's a lot of powerful points in there and I think everybody had a kick out when you know when I was talking about Bad Jones playing footsies with Master. <laughs> we like, oh, no, not Max. No, he didn't play footsies with Master. <laughs> it was funny, though, man. But listen, let, let me play this song, all right? And we'll come back and we'll talk some more on the other side. And I, there's a couple pieces of news I want to make sure we get out. I appreciate you, as sure. always, Sean. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thanks, Max. Peace. We're going to go into another Byron Allen clip. This time, he explains how you're killing us. Um, and that's going to be followed by a longtime uh, friend, one of the best MCs out there that I, that I know is Brother Jasiri X with America Never Loved Us. I think Brother Aloma will appreciate the music and the quotes. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Abolition Today. Abolition. Abolition. Today. And, what, and what I say to America is you have to understand something. As it relates to black America, you kill us in the schoolroom by making sure we don't get a proper education. And you kill us in the boardroom by making sure we don't have real economic inclusion. And you kill us in the courtroom by making sure we don't have equal justice long before you choke us to death or shoot us in the street. In the street. Worse. America never loved us. Remember? Pittsburgh, they never loved us. Remember? The police, they never loved us. Remember? Worst behavior. Every time I ride around here in Cyrus Sound, some crooked ass cop might fire rounds. And that shot might let me down. Somebody gotta tell my mom they paralyzed the child. We leave Malcolm with the M1 and then some. Bobby Bill with that shot, he feel get some. 
Man, we need power, cross security for every black child that made it out of puberty. Black leather jacket, black shotgun, Huey P. Special season bullets fly, nigga, duty free. Pawns crucified like the cross on your jewelry. My quicker police in the hood on the shooting street. Athlete, y'all almost had to read his eulogy. Shot five times by the cops so brutally. In a wheelchair, still getting all the scrutiny. Even though a better could truly be acting on the worst behavior. America never loved us. Remember? Men in Florida, they never loved us. Remember? Men in Jersey, they never loved us. Remember? Then we pay more attention to Michael's new Jordans Or the outcome of Michael shooting Jordan For protection, do I need a rifle when performing? If we start turning up, when they try to murder us Dangerous black kids ain't welcome in suburbia All we want is justice and equality to nerve of us Still deny services, criminalized by journalists Turn the other chicken, get killed by Christian conservatives Mass incarcerated in prison is where they hurting us Calling us thugs, you hear I'm trying to reach a Sherman us Acting like ain't nothing worse than us But be the first to bust last against nurse and cuffs we ain't forget you used to purchase us. We were swinging from the trees or you burnt us up. Now we organized and ready to stick the merchants up. So get them purses up before you see us on our worst behavior. America never loved us. Remember? In Cali, they never loved us. Remember? Men of they never loved us. Remember? Andy Lopez was only 13, seven shots from the sheriff, left him in the dirt lane, to his mother and his father had to be the worst scene, do you know what hurt means when you see a child dead in his shirt scene, liquid from the thickness of the blood, still squirting, dear God, can you answer me first thing, can you wipe the earth clean, of the violence in this world, let the church sing, amen, turn to today's him, who's gonna save them, cause in North Carolina, Jesus, they slayed him, in the back of a cop car cut, they sprayed him, and told us that he killed himself, that's Satan, so when you see me, you're on MSNBC, I hope folks and I'm bust both sides Until I see America shut both sides Go to Hearst to claim on my worst behavior Worst behavior Abolition Yeah, one more time for Brother Byron Allen By How They Killing Us And then followed by Jasiri X Slid out of Pittsburgh with America Never Loved Us You know, we can't forget that Any commentary on that? What you heard? Yes. Uh, certainly a, a lot a lot going on with what we heard there. And it's, as you say, it's always important for us to just stay focused on um, all of the different elements of what makes up uh, our communities, however we, uh, however we see ourselves as those are, um, you know, as we see throughout uh, these broadcasts and just as, as it goes, um, these issues are constantly ongoing. And, um, you, you can never really uh, look closely enough at, at um, you know, how, how uh, prison slavery uh, impacts uh, you know, realities out here. And so I uh, greatly appreciated what I was hearing from you know, uh, everyone that, that uh, called in. Uh, Brother Alonzo's words are, as, as usual, uh, inspiring. Always great to, to hear and to see him continue to build. And uh, so much of what uh, he's asking about uh, resonates right now. Uh, recently going through some of the audio books uh, here uh, within the uh, Black Dog Radio uh, Network, uh, for those especially that are uh, listening in through 
five years of his life. As a minor, right? As a minor, right? As as a minor. And so they they left him in prison. He's not getting out. Again, another brother that's stuck in Missouri prisons, and he should have long been out. Even the judge has written books and given interviews saying, you know, that haunts me at night. I can't sleep because this guy's, and I never should have gave him that many years. Uh, why she gave that many years, I, I really can't tell you. But that's what happened. So I want to highlight them, uh, Bobby Bostick in particular. And uh, now, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and now she, she can't even reverse it, apparently. Right. She, and this is another example of that, where those that are ultimately part of the responsibility for, certainly not the sole responsibility, but part of the responsibility for these human beings being inside prison slavery now want to reverse it and at least claim not to be in a position to do so. It it seems as though they are sincerely advocating it at this point. uh, We can talk about, you know, how that compares to doing what's needed in the decisive moment, but it, it just goes to show that now they're saying even our hands are tied a quarter million people could walk free who are innocent, and we all know it. Everybody knows it. Nearly a quarter million people. That's what potentially could happen. But apparently we ain't going to let that happen. Uh, what, there's two more stories. I want you to cover the last one. The next one is uh, it's a Pasco County, Florida Sheriff's Office has a private database of parents and children they say are likely to become prolific offenders. Most of those individuals have no idea that they're on this list, <clears throat> and now there's a civil rights and privacy group saying it's illegal, unconstitutional, and discriminatory. What it is is they're having these uh, teams of cops that are using predictive policing. They're pr- predicting which children are going to go to prison. And even more than that, y'all got to watch the video on this. It uncover how these police harass the entire families, coming to the house four or five times a day, going to the schools, pushing the children into these types of things where they, they ended up being arrested by the police for some non-existent circumstances. And it's all called um, intelligence policing, intelligence-based policing. But basically, it's predictive policing. You're looking at someone's early records when they was a child and determining whether or not they're going to do a crime after that, and then harassing them and the family. As I said, you got to watch this video. Um, that's the last one for me, Brother Tag, uh, the sister that killed the, the man that was raping her, right? Yeah, it, it is, um, you know, speaking of the police demonization and also in other ways uh, the the lack thereof when it comes to other um, or when it comes to violations of of certain types um, you know uh, we might put it that way and and pardon the pardon the metaphor uh, before as far as um, you know people's uh, quote hands being tied uh, if 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 that's um, you know disturbing to anyone as a metaphor um, and I I can certainly see uh, why, but, uh, yeah, basically saying that even they cannot uh, undo what they've done, you know, or been a part of doing, you know, in, in, in these past instances. And so with this, with this, uh, which is ongoing, uh, Crystal Kaiser, um, who had, was just abused and tortured uh, for years, for several years, she's currently 20. She was apparently uh, only uh, six, she was only 16 
um, when she met this uh, serial abuser, Rainy Bollard. Um, and this is also Kenosha, Wisconsin, speaking of uh, places that have just been um, just so flagrant um, and also just so um, uh, uh, became uh, at least known to a much greater degree after particular um, uh, violations that occurred. Uh, we're talking about Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, in this instance, uh, you know, speaking of, of uh, Ferguson and, and others, and uh, so she was in need of school supplies, essentially, and this, this uh, uh, character uh, manipulated her as a minor, um, as well as uh, almost a dozen other African-descended African uh, girls as young as 12, and um, apparently, uh, you know, uh, this this has been going on for, for several years. He was not um, he was not even asked uh, to post bail, whereas uh, her bail amounted to four hundred thousand um, dollars, which she was able to organize over two years. Uh, he was uh, released the same day that he was found uh, charged with all of these crimes, including child sexual assault. And um, I was reminded, speaking of Frederick Douglass, was just looking at um, some writing he was doing. Uh, with regard to, to this question of, of the abuse of uh, African uh, girls and women in particular, and African-descended uh, women and girls. Um, and this was, of course, in the 1800s uh, context of lynching, you know, uh, his, his uh, very in-depth discussion of lynch law um, and, and, and the crimes involved there, which, of course, are directly related to the crime against crimes or the crime of crimes. Um, slavery. Amen, brother. Well, that's as much as we can give you today. We, there's always so so much to say in so little time. I want to say thank you to you, Tag, again, holding it down with me tonight. Indeed. I want to send out our wishes and prayers to Brother Yusuf and his family and if you get through these trying times. Absolutely. And looking forward to seeing him back here with us. Uh, I want to take a moment to say thank you to Brother Aloma and Sean for calling in. We appreciate you and all our listeners here tonight. You could have been anywhere, but you're here with us tonight. Rocking with this powerful music and these powerful conversations about truth and freedom, justice. I want to say thank you to our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting, Racial Justice, the Paul Company Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and our uh, sponsor, Black Talk Radio Network, who is uh, streaming it live and simulcasting along with so remember to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com, Abolition Today, for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Abolition Today is available on all your major podcast platforms and then simulcast, as I said, on the BTR network. Also, remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. We'll be back on Sunday, day after Juneteenth, with an update on the events surrounding the announcement of the federal abolitionist bill and the state hearing. Until then, think about abolition today. We're going to take you out with the final version, final sermon of Vernon Johns, done by James Earl Jones. That's what we'll have a little mix with public enemy number one inside. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, peace. Respect, respect. Abolition. Abolition. As you all know, Deacon Hill, Coach Hill, 
whom we all knew and loved, was killed this past week by the Montgomery police. When it is suggested to them that they had beaten another man sufficiently. Brother Hill was my friend. He was your friend. He was these three boys' father. He was this woman's loving husband. Brother Hill was a good man. A courageous man. Last week, Brother Hill found a cause worth dying for. I envy him. Like Moses, he was a peaceful man who saw something that so horrified him that he was compelled to act. They say he was interfering with the police in the execution of his duties. I say. He was carrying out God's program. Now, I don't have to remind you about the Ten Commandments. Brother Hill knew that the, the simplest and the clearest of those Ten Great Commandments was, Thou shalt not kill. God never said, Thou shalt not kill unless you are a police officer. He most certainly did not say, thou shalt not kill unless you are white. Last week, a white man was fined for shooting a rabbit out of season. But it's safe to murder Negroes. A rabbit is better off than a Negro because in Alabama, niggers are always in season. And I'll tell you why it's safe to murder Negroes. Because Negroes stand by and let it happen. When the Klan burns a cross, it is a message. The next step will be a lynching. But as I watched the cross burning outside the church last night, it occurred to me that the crucifixion was just that. A lynch. And isn't it ironic that everything we worship was made possible by a lynching? Because at that ultimate moment of death, Jesus spoke the words that transformed a lynching into a crucifixion that made Jesus not a condemner, but a redeemer. He said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. But the white policemen who are free day after day to murder Negroes know what they do. And you know what you do when you stand by and watch your brothers and sisters being lynched. It is as if you stood by while Christ was being crucified. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. That's what you are. Because you sit here every Sunday morning praising Jesus while you know that every Saturday night your brothers and sisters are being murdered and say nothing to do nothing. 
Is it fear? Are you afraid? If you speak too loudly, protest too strongly, you'll be killed like Brother Hill. You well may be. He who takes not this cross and follows me is not worthy of me. Are you worthy of Jesus Christ? Or are you only worthy of the state of Alabama? Abolitionist Center at gmail.com. We appreciate you. Until next week, peace.